was uh, still living in Seattle around the time of the second Iraq invasion. And there was a bumper sticker that started proliferating around the city at that time that I will never forget. It said, America, colon, better be nice to us or we'll give you democracy. It struck me so strongly because it's such a counter message to what I'd always learned in elementary school, saying the Pledge of Allegiance and knowing that, um, that we were the greatest country with the greatest ideology and the greatest form of government, democracy, which was our great gift to give to the world. And to have that idea turned on its head almost as if it would be a punishment that you better be nice to us or we'll give you democracy. And in this postmodern age, our nation's confidence in itself, off of which we've lived for over 200 years, that we really do have the greatest form of government, that we're the greatest nation, um, has eroded significantly in the past couple generations. Uh, and I think we see in our culture our idealism slowly being replaced uh, with a form of pragmatism, less of let's make the world a better place and more of let's just keep them from blowing their bombs up over here. And it's really because of our loss of confidence and identity in ourselves. Just as Europe lost confidence in itself before we did, one of the great statesmen of the church from the last century, Leslie Newbegin, uh, was a British Anglican who spent most of his life as a missionary in India. And in one of his books, he writes and he says, whether I liked it or not, when I moved in the 1930s from England to in India, I moved as a member of the ruling class. I left a place of civilization and knowledge an organization, and I moved to a place that did not have those things. And we came as a civilizing force to bring civilization to a place that did not have it. And by the 1970s, he wrote that he could see young British men and women begging on the streets of Kolkata to see if they could find any sense of hope or meaning or identity in the world. And he said, our, the collapse of the confidence we had in ourselves in the West came with such suddenness and such completeness. It was overwhelming in its scope. The great philosophers of postmodernism have pointed out that we in America and Europe and everywhere in the world, that we are all limited by our perspective. Einstein taught us that you can't even observe something without changing it, that the very fact of observing something changes the observation and that we are all subjective actors, that none of us has an objective or pure perspective on the world, that there is no access to transcendent knowledge of any kind, and any truth claim that democracy or uh, British empire or anything else is better than anything else is ultimately unverifiable because we are all permanently lost in the subjectiveness of our experience in a sense that we are all from the earth 
and none of us has the ability to rise above the earth and to stand, as it were, on a mountain and to look down on others and to pass judgment on their perspective. And so what postmodernism has left us with is an inability to make truth claims of any kind because none of us has a perspective from which to validate that kind of knowledge. And so the ultimate ethic is just to do no harm to anyone else and to live uh, for the moment. And this analysis of our situation, of our inability to know for certain, is accurate, I think. And has been tremendously helpful for our overconfident uh, enlightenment culture to that we thought for a while that we had all the answers and instead got ourselves a couple world wars, that those who are from the earth see from a perspective from the earth. And there's a sense of acceptance and hopelessness in postmodernism. Because what we need is one who has a perspective from above. One who is in a sense not from the earth, but can rise above out of their own experience and see things from above and to have an outside objective standpoint, someone who can truly say what is right and what is wrong. And John's message for us today is that that one has come. That that is the good news. That though each of us is from the earth and has a perspective from the earth, one has come from above. Who can speak into our world true knowledge, which is objective and sure and trustworthy. By which all actions and thoughts can be judged and known. This is the same passage we took a look at last week. Last week we focused on um, the first half where John the Baptist gives over his glory. Now we're going to focus on the last paragraph, 31 through 35, and talk about the glory that Jesus has as the one from above. But before we do, if you're a note taker, I'd like you to stop taking notes for a second and draw a picture. One of my seminary professors was... um, fond of saying that he could explain the gospel with two lines. So if you have paper and a pencil, you can draw a horizontal line. This is the line of preeminence, that above the line is God, and below the line is not God. Plants, animals, rocks, and you and me. And as not God, there's, it, we have an inability to know what is above the line, an inability to access or climb up or know that objective, sure knowledge. And so our world below remains lost, in a sense, so lost that, um, that even Pacquiao can lose to um, Mayweather. <laughs> that lost. And so we have a need for someone from above the line to cross down below the line. So you've got your horizontal line. If you draw a second line, a downward arrow, kind of diagonally going through that line, that line is the Christ. That's the line of eminence, that he came from above 
and came down from below that we might have access to what is above the line. Verse 31 says, He who comes from above, that's Christ, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. That phrase, he who is of the earth, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, that's what I'm getting at. And in that one phrase, John sums up all human philosophers of all time, and even the prophets themselves, even Moses and the great Isaiah, that they lived on the earth and spoke in an earthly way. And so, even with the prophets, God revealed to them a word from heaven or through a vision. But ultimately, they spoke from the earth and had to receive a word from above. But he who comes from above, the Christ, is above all. He speaks not as a a philosopher or from a standpoint of human wisdom or science or understanding or even as a prophet. He speaks as one who has first-person knowledge of what is above the line. That the words of the prophets were inspired The words of Jesus were original. That he dwelt in heaven and knows the Father intimately. From the beginning of the ages, the Father said, let's create heaven and earth. Here's how I think we should do it. And Jesus was there and heard those words and saw and spoke them into being himself. It's the knowledge of familiarity and first person and friendship. He knows of what he speaks. What did, um, what did Al Gore say to Dan Quayle? I knew JFK. You're no JFK. It's the knowledge of one who has known and been there. And just as... John, the apostle, can say, we are communicating to you what we have seen and heard with our eyes and touched with our hands. So Jesus can say that of the Father, I am communicating to you what I know of in my experience, what I have seen and beheld and touched with my Father from before the beginnings of time. In John 8.38, Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my Father. It says in our passage, verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and what he has heard. Elsewhere, Jesus tells the parable of the landowner who is God, who owns the land, and he sends servant after servant after servant to the tenants in the land to communicate his will to them. The servants are the prophets. And then he says, finally, I will send my son. Perhaps they will listen to him. Deuteronomy 18.18, the Lord promises to Moses, the great prophet of the Old Testament, that after him will come a prophet like Moses, who shares all that the Lord speaks. So Jesus comes as that greatest of all prophets, who shares everything that the Lord speaks because he has known everything the Lord has thought from the beginning of time. And so after Jesus speaks and comes as the final authoritative word, with the full and complete knowledge of the Father, there's no need for any more prophets to speak again. That nothing, in a sense, nothing more can be said. 
after one has come from above. I got to participate in a uh, Kentucky Derby party yesterday. We had a $1 betting pool. That's about my speed. And uh, like everything in Hawaii, we were watching it on tape delay, uh, and all of us trying to avoid seeing what had happened ahead of time. But uh, one or two of us had um, accidentally seen the result. And so we're gathered together in this house, um, snacks and beverages in hand, you know, watching uh, two hours of human interest stories leading into the race. I want to have been there back in the day in the NBC studio where they said, how are we going to make 90 seconds of race into two hours of coverage? Anyway, so all of us there, we, we have read the odds. We have placed our bets on various horses. We're listening to the commentators speak. This horse has accomplished this in the past. This trainer has won three times in the past. And everyone is bringing forth their knowledge of their study of the Vegas odds and the history of the horses and the owners and the running conditions of that day and what had happened in the previous week and who had what for lunch and which direction the winds were blowing. All of them parsing their knowledge and none of us knowing what would happen except two or three of us in the room had knowledge from above. (laughs) And it stood out to me so strongly that these commentators have spent a lifetime studying these races and these men and these horses, and they've brought forth the riches of everything that they know, and the best that they can give us is five out of two. And yet present in the room is one who knows for certain. And when Jesus arrives and claims for himself the status as coming from above, that is the kind of knowledge and authority that he claims for himself, that he is the greatest prophet with the greatest message. For not only did he come from above, he speaks Words from above. Verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. What do the Old Testament prophets say? Thus says the Lord. And what did Jesus say? Truly, truly, I tell you. And so the people marveled that he spoke as one who had authority. In John 17, 9, Jesus is praying to his father and he says, I have given them the words that you gave me. And so when Jesus arrives and he speaks with a perspective from above and the words of the father, the need for prophecy comes to an end and the need for scripture to be written also comes to an end. That the words of God have been made clear when one comes from the presence of God down into time and space to make him clear. If you're a Christian, you've been living with this reality for a long time, and I guarantee you, you have lost sight of how miraculous and mind-boggling this is. That in the midst of our wisdom and striving and lostness as human beings, that one has come from above. 
to share with us the perspective that none of us have that he shares in his intimacy with the Father, the knowledge of all things, and he speaks of what he knows. He has the perspective from above, he has the words from above, and he has the spirit from above. He whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. He can give the spirit without measure because he has received the word, the spirit without measure. This, again, sort of stands in contrast to the prophets who lived their life and worked their jobs and at one point or another had the spirit fall upon them and words come. And yet we hear in John, at the end of chapter 1, when Jesus is baptized, what does John the Baptist say? I saw the spirit descend and remain on him. Fulfilling, as we said, Isaiah 61, that the Spirit of the Lord will remain upon his servant. So Jesus says in John chapter 7, I have the Spirit, I'm full of life. It's as if water flows out of me, and all who believe me will have the Spirit, and living water will flow out of them as well. It's this picture of a well that cannot ever run dry, that Jesus has received the full, unmeasured, measure of the spirit in fact the verb is is in the continuous state not only has he received the full measure of the father's holy spirit he's continuing to receive it at this very moment and continuing to pour it out in such a way that cannot be measured he's from above he has words from above he has the spirit from above and he has the love of his father Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Look, my friends, if you are in Christ, God loves you. But he will never love you more than he loves his own son with whom he is well pleased. And none of us will ever have more sway, more power to convince the father than than Jesus, his son who is with him from the beginning and saw and participates and knows all things and has all love of the Father, that they are best friends, that their love and admiration between them cannot be paralleled in any other thought or word or poetry or song or relationship or language. And so, as a gift of love, the Father has given all things into the hands of his son. As I said last time, and says in Colossians 1 that all things were made by Christ and through Christ and for him. And so it is in the wisdom of the Father that every rock and tree and blade of grass and every soul and every chair in this room, your destiny is ultimately in the hands of God's son, Jesus, who came from above. This is the why John the Baptist joyfully gives his glory over to the one who is from above. The commentators are divided on whether these verses in 31 through 35 are continuing speech from John the Baptist explaining why he is falling down before Christ or whether John the Baptist has finished speaking in verse 30 and John the Apostle is sort of continuing to narrate. But the fact that that's unclear doesn't make me uncomfortable. It actually makes me very comfortable. 
It's almost as if John the Baptist and John the Apostle here hold hands, raise their arms and testify together and say that Jesus, the one from above, is worthy of all of our glory because of the greatest status and love and honor and glory and wisdom and words and spirit that he has. That we had a great need in our lostness that one should come from above and he is the great hero who can speak words into our darkness. And how will we respond? Well, the passage before us today says that we really only have two ways to respond. One of them is to seal and certify that God is true. Now, what does that mean? It's seal. The word um, in our passage, it's in um, verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony, the testimony of Christ, sets his seal to this, that God is true. So the word seal there refers almost to like a signet ring where uh, a king or a magistrate would take his, his signature ring, his identification of his own authority, and he would place it in wax on a document and say, this is from me, this is true, and this is reliable. And so the really remarkable thing is that this passage is communicating that each one of us has been given a unique authority. It's as if we all have a ring. And we will decide, each one of you will decide, whether Christ spoke truly of what he said. Whether he really saw and heard the things that he said that he did. And whether he really was where he says that he was and came down to us and communicate the words of the Father or not. And what's surprising to me is whose reputation on the line here is not Christ himself, but the Father. That the Father is the one who said, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. I am sending to you. You did not listen to my servants, and so I am sending you my Son. And we have been given the authority to certify God's statement as true that in your life you will have the ability to take your signet ring and place it into the clay, into the wax, and say, Jesus is who he said that he was. I receive his testimony, and I certify with my belief and my heart and my life that he knows what he said that he knows, and he is who he said that he is. This gives us uh, a couple things. One, it gives us great humility. What is it in this postmodern age of cynicism that's so difficult about Christianity? Look, this is about the most offensive message that you can have. Because it says that uh, there's one way that's the right way. And there's one person who has absolute knowledge. And, uh, and that's really irritating unless you haven't really... Look, none of us got this knowledge for ourselves, Right? Uh, if you are a follower of Christ and you have signified his words as true, it's not because you were smarter or better or more creative than the next person. It's because he came from above and crossed the line to journey down below to enter into your space and dwell with you and communicate to you the words from above. 
And so we hold what we receive from Christ with great humility. It's not that we know better than people. It's that we had to be saved. And we have been given this knowledge, Paul says, as if in clay jars. But also it gives us great confidence that if Christ is who he says that he is, and his words have come from above, my friends, there can be no more philosophical system that does not have that truth at its core. And that's not to say um, that there's not a lot of knowledge to be gained out there that comes from places other than the Bible, that there's things we can learn from science and psychology and nature and relationships and work and practice and medicine and the, the wisdom of the world. But if Christ is who he says that he is, that his words place each one of those pieces of knowledge in their place, in, in a sense putting it in a, in a scope, a system, in which we understand what truly is and how things are. That um, if Christ has come from above, I said there's no more need for prophets. There's no more need for more scripture to be written, that Christ has seen it all, he said it all. But there's still a need. There's a need for his people to continue to recertify what he has said. And so in our day and age, it's my belief, my perspective, that scriptures do not continue to be written, and yet the continuation of that tradition is you and me and all the church and all the world and in Japan playing its part, recertifying, representing the words of Christ as the one from above, that just as all of the prophets looked forward and foretold the coming of Christ, we, as prophets of our time, look back to what he said and replay his words, his wisdom, his love, his status, his knowledge for our time. And just as Christ has the spirit without measure, he gives it without measure. Verse 34, he gives the spirit without measure. If you've ever read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it's this um, allegory of the Christian life. Um, there's a character named Christian who goes on a, a literal journey, and it's the experience of the Christian life. And at one point, he comes to this house where he learns, gets told various um, parables about the Christian life, and so he sees um, this painting and there's a fire in the painting. And I can't remember exactly how this works, but there's water or something being poured out to quench the fire. But the fire never goes out. And Christian cannot understand why this fire with water being poured out on it over and over and over again is not going out. And so the master of the house invites Christian to step around behind the wall and see what's happening behind the picture. And behind the picture, there's a fountain of oil continuing to come down into the fire. And so the Christian discovers that there is this source from behind continuing to fill and keep the fire going in spite of all that would put it out, that that is John Bunyan's picture of the Holy Spirit, that just as Christ from above has received the Spirit without, without measure, for those who certify and receive his testimony, he gives it without measure, pouring it out in our hearts that we may continue to bear witness, continue to certify, to seal that he is the one. And just as um, Jesus 
has seen and heard and touched and handled with his hands because we are in him and have received his spirit. Now we can say in humility and confidence that we have seen and heard what happens from above with confidence because Christ has shared it with us. So that's one option, to seal and certify Christ's word as true. The other option, according to this passage, is that whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That there's a contrast here between believe and receive and to, as it says in this translation, to not obey. That according to John, the opposite of to receive and believe is to disobey. That to not certify Christ's words, that to say he is not who he said that he was, that he did not go where he said that he went, he has not seen what he said that he went, and he does not have a perspective above any other, is, in the perspective of the Father, disobedience. And, look, my friends, the, if Jesus is the one who says that he is, the moral nature of his Father is bound into the very fabric of our universe. And so just as the truth of his words is part of the fabric of the life that we live every day, so the reality of retribution and punishment of those who do not receive the Father's most beloved, most majestic and wise statement of all time. In his wisdom and his judgment, punishment and retribution is upon them. Look, this, this is not my message. This is not what I want to preach. This is not what I want to be true. But if we are going to receive these words from the scripture, we need to wrestle with what they say. And they say here that this is a message that you cannot afford to be neutral to. That in your life, you will either certify that Jesus is the one from above, or you will disobey his words. And that God's wrath will remain on all those do not receive his son. That because there can be no fuller witness or knowledge to what happens above, there can be no one without any greater love or acceptance from the Father, there will not be another messenger. There will not be another Savior from above with words and wisdom and love and grace to save us than this one. And if you reject this one, there are no other possibilities. And so in the end, Jesus will reign as king, and we will, as John the Baptist has done, give our glory over to him and say that he did all things well and was worthy of all love. And just as he sacrificed for us, we will sacrifice for him. Or we will be profoundly irritated at the nature of the Father and the irritating an irresponsible and disgusting love that he has for his son, and we will want no part of it. And the Lord will grant us our wish.
It says in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 through 9, speaking of both the comfort and the judgment, that Jesus has come to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. A friend pointed out to me once that we should um, take no comfort in saying that these are just analogies because uh, analogies and images are never as strong as that to which they bear witness. And because Jesus was the one from above and knew all things, perhaps it should not be surprising to us that of all of the writers of the Bible, Moses, Paul, no one spoke of hell more than Jesus. Because he knew of the seriousness of the consequences of our choice with a firsthand knowledge. My friends, there is one who has come from above and will receive you as sons and daughters if you would but certify and receive his words if you would bow the knee before him as the most lovely one he has love to share with us let's pray